Hi, everybody. I am Gordon, and I have the disease of alcoholism. I mention that as my introduction because I firmly believe that I do have a chronic, progressive, and fatal disease. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity of being here this morning. What is a di that disease that we call alcoholism? And for me, I like to believe that it's a metabolic, a genetically transmitted metabolic disease in which one has a compulsion to drink that causes negative consequences in his family life, social life, work or economic life, legal life, mental, physical, and spiritual life. Now, my story is uh, like so many of you. I drank too much for too long, and it gave me problems, and pretty much fulfills the definition that I've uh, just stated. It's given me the opportunity through the years of, in my recovery, of being able to be in position to find a job, and uh, a job that I love very, very much, and from some very significant changes in my life, uh, is developing in, a, in another avenue, and I'd like to share that with you, that uh, life does go on in recovery, and in a far, far better way than it ever did before. Now, very briefly, I was born in, a, in central Michigan, product of a loving family. Um, it was a good family with no problems, two older brothers, two uh, younger sisters. My parents drank appropriately and uh, with no real problems. However, my grandfather died of alcoholism. I have five out of six uncles who have alcoholism. Three have died from the disease. And on my, uh, that's on my mother's side. And on my father's side, I have two cousins in AA today. Of my two brothers, uh, one needs to be in AA. And I have a younger sister in AA. The other two drink appropriately with that, absolutely no problems related to it. And I believe without any question that I inherited that gene from my grandfather that I do not or cannot drink alcohol appropriately. I can honestly say today I never, ever in my life had the right amount to drink. Ever. I either had, I wanted more to produce the effect that it did for me, and it did make me feel good. Or I drank too much until I got into trouble with it. The very first time that I drank, I got drunk uh, when I was 18 years old. My story is not unlike uh, Lynn's in many ways in which um, I was gifted with uh, many of the attributes that uh, I'm sure all of you have. A good student an excellent athlete that I, I was valedictorian in my class, president of the student body, all these things coming through school, and went on to the University of Michigan, where I uh, did extremely well, um, got into medical school, did extremely well there, and on through residency uh, in surgery at the University of Michigan. As a freshman in college, I got introduced to fraternity life, and that filled the bill for me at that point. Um, a lot of fun, but a lot of drinking. And again, never the right amount to drink. As the years went on, um, I looked at each 
time, whether it was a fraternity party, a weekend away, uh, visiting the home, uh, going to the lake, whatever, it was always an excuse to drink and make me feel better because it really did the job. And I know today that if I had a drink today, it put me on top of the world for that moment. Uh, however, I can't predict what the, what the outcome would be. So, with this all going on, uh, the weekends away, and, and they became uh, drunks. And I'd start drinking the minute we got off to the lake or vacation or whatever. Everything was oriented towards drinking. Married my lovely wife, Connie, in 1955, and uh, during residency, or in fact, during medical school, and then um, went on through residency at the University of Michigan. A lot of good friends uh, who are still my good friends. And then went on to Lexington, Kentucky uh, to practice surgery in 1962. Now, there was the first time that I had the freedom to begin uh, drinking as I would like, that I thought everybody deserved that afternoon cocktail before dinner in which you sat down and talked about the good things of life and uh, enjoyed the time before dinner. Uh, the kids started coming along and... Uh, Work became, um, was life was very, very good to us. Progressed through the years and became vice president of the secretary and then vice president of the County Medical Society, asked to uh, run for president. And that was in the late 60s. And at that time, I said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, this is getting too much. I'm not uh, doing enough for my family. And this sort of thing was a rationalization. I can't run for president. Well, the real reason in retrospect was that every time I went to a meeting, I drank too much. And uh, I started to realize that I couldn't drink in public. So more and more into the home and uh, more drinking at home. Uh, very, very seldom did I ever had more than two drinks throughout the entire history of my drinking. But at the very end, I had these 16-ounce football glasses that I'd fill up with a scotch, add the ice to it as I was drinking, and uh, two of those would pretty well take care of me. So through the years, I got my endorphins produced uh, with a chemical, and uh, it progressed. My tolerance increased uh, through the years, and then in the late 60s, started developing some of the negative consequences. The family life started to go to, to hell, like uh, so frequently happens having all sorts of troubles with our marriage and uh, the kids and this and that. My self-esteem uh, was not what I, wanted, what I thought it should be because I thought I needed to be, I should be by this time, the professor of surgery at the medical school. I was in the voluntary faculty, and I enjoyed that part. And I uh, had a, good, a lot of fun teaching the residents and students and, and finally arranged so that the residents from the university came out with uh, the group that I was in and uh, that part I really liked, but I always envied those guys in academia. So, with that as a background, the my work was progressing very, very well. Uh, my status in the community, and uh, I did some research at the university and did some things that, uh, that did make me feel pretty good. But as the time went on, the family life started going to pot socially, where we used to be very, very much involved in the activities uh, with other people. Uh, bridge clubs 
some very dear friends, uh, we'd get in arguments about the bridge game. And uh, friends didn't particularly, I'm sure, enjoy having us around. The withdrawal from the country club activities, and I, it, part of that was a golf, which I thoroughly enjoyed and still do today. And at one time was a scratch handicap player till I broke my back, which I'll share with you in a few minutes. Um, but one of the things I loved about golf was drinking the 19th hole. In fact, it was usually the 9th hole and the 19th hole and uh, several hours thereafter. So the social life and country club activities and all those things, we didn't stop going to those parties because if I did, I was afraid that I might get drunk. And who could, who would go to a surgeon that was drinking or that drank too much? So that sort of uh, avenue went along for a while. Then my, um, the work life, uh, continued progressing on up. And I like to believe that my last bastion of self-respect is my work. And I think it probably is for most physicians. Uh, I think Doug Talbot showed that in the, in the group from Georgia that the last thing that goes is our work. And I did everything in the world to cover up my work and preserve that image that, damn it, I am a good doctor. I'm a good surgeon. And uh, I wasn't going to let anything interfere with that. Now, as the time went on, I'd start getting the phone calls in the middle of the night were hazy the next morning. I wouldn't remember some of them. And uh, I was having difficulties in that regard. And Connie would always uh, would tell me, uh, or remind me, did you remember that phone call? And if I didn't, she'd try to tell me what something that, that might have transpired that she heard in the phone call, and I'd be able to figure it out, and then I'd go see that patient first thing in the morning, find out what the world was all about. And through all this, I, I very, very seldom drank when I was on call. So, um, by golly, I'm a good doctor, and I'm preserving all this image. So... There was an episode in 1974 that I'll share with you that I'm not proud of today, but I understand it. Uh, I'd been up all night the night before with a ruptured aneurysm, and I was very, very tired and went home that night and had a couple of big drinks and fell asleep. And sometime during that evening, I apparently I was on call for general surgery for the hospital that night, and I got a call and apparently went and took care of it. And the following day, I had this terrible feeling inside me that something had happened the night before blackout. Couldn't figure out what in the world had gone on. And uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon, somebody uh, thought of, for some reason, thought of what had happened. And I re vaguely recalled being in the operating room the night before. And apparently I'd fallen asleep about seven o'clock and this about one o'clock in the morning I'd gone to the hospital. I'd snuck over to the hospital, find the records, find out where this patient was. And I'd gone into the hospital that night. Uh saw a kid with, a, with an appendix, he had taken the history, recorded it, gone to the operating room, taken the kid's appendix out, the kid had appendicitis, and everything was done very appropriately, and the following day, uh, or this day, I snuck around and talked to the family at the, that evening, after I found out who it was, and he went home the following day, and uh, everything went perfectly, but I did not remember, and I still don't today. Uh, I went back, in, in my, since in my recovering, I've talked to the anesthesiologist that was on that night, and he had no memory of it. me ever having any problems in the operating room. And it was that kind of thing, but a blackout, and I didn't understand it, and I thought I was going crazy. 
As time went on, uh, these memory lapses uh, were becoming more frequent. And then I got a drunk driving um, involvement. That led to a little humorous incident I'll share with you, but the uh, I had to go to drunk driving school. And in Kentucky, when you're going to drunk driving school, you had to go for 16 weeks in a row, and if you missed one, you had to start all over. But I was too important to do this in Lexington, and I arranged through the judge and my lawyer and everything to do it in a neighboring town where nobody would know me. So I was driving to Winchester, Kentucky, every Wednesday night to go to the uh, drunk driving school. Well, I happened to have gone deer hunting up in northern Michigan with my brothers, and I picked up a new car in Detroit and drove home, and I had to eat in a hurry and get to the drunk driving school. So I had this brand new Cadillac, and I have my, as soon as I arrived home and got into Lexington, I had my nice big glass full, drank it, ate dinner, had another glass full, put it in my car and my new Cadillac and headed for Winchester. Well, as I got around on one of the circle roads around there, had an accident. I jumped out of the car, I had run a yellow light, and uh, told the guy it was my fault, threw the booze off to the side of the road, gave him my card, I was a doctor, I was in a hurry, and I couldn't wait, thank you very much, I ran into a restaurant, called my loving wife, and said, I've got to get to Winchester right now, and get to the meeting, and she, to show you how sick she was, she got in the car, came and picked me up, and drove me 100 miles an hour to get to Winchester, so I'd get to drunk driving school. <laughs> At any rate, uh, that was my only legal encounter, and uh, then started the physical, uh, mental, and spiritual problems that I was having. Physically, uh, I had recognized that um, microvascular surgery, and vascular surgery is my specialty, that microvascular surgery had a real role to play. And a fellow by the name of Harold Kleinert, and some of the surgeons might know him in, in Louisville, and I attended and worked together developing some microvascular techniques. And uh, I worked in the animal lab in our hospital and uh, operated on about 150 rats under the microscope mollusk. And I finally, I just got so frustrated, I quit. Well, the real problem is I had a little tremor, and operating under that microscope uh, was a bit of a problem. And I thought it was just, uh, boy, I was aging fast and all these troubles in the, going on in my life, but I had a real problem in the operating room. It kept getting worse, and it was a coffee. So I bought a new teapot to put in the operating room so that I wouldn't have the shakes that everybody was talking about, and I'd overheard some people talking about uh, to take care of my my shakes, and uh, so I could continue being the great surgeon that I thought I was. The mentally, I was becoming very depressed, which many of you will uh, identify with. Um, I thought that uh, I needed to change my life somehow, that uh, something was wrong. And I read a book of, of Gail Sheely's uh, called um, Stages or Passages. read that book uh, while I was deer hunting one year, and I said, that's it. I need to change. I need to change my environment that I'm in, and I need to change my partners. They're the ones, those sons of guns are the ones causing me troubles. So I told them I'll go to hell. And I'd show them, and in retrospect, they had uh, confronted me a little bit about the, it made them nervous about the drinking that I'd, at the country club and various parties I'd gotten drunk, and the drunk driving charge, and all these things were, uh, they didn't like it. I also had had a series of accidents. 
Uh, there was a joke for one time, uh, hides nothing but an accident about to happen. And, uh, I broke my back. Uh, broke my back, my back, uh, on a trampoline, playing with my son. Only probably thing I didn't tell you was, it was a kid's trampoline that nobody over 70 pounds or 100 pounds should have been on, and I was drunker than a skunk, and I went right through the sheet. And, uh, broke my back, spent four months on the floor with a pity pot, and, uh, while people would drink me, drink me, bring me, uh, bottles and so forth to drink because they felt so badly and had to bring me a gift, and boy, everybody knew I liked a good drink, so, um, four months of that, I'm sure, uh, rapidly progressed my alcoholism. But, as it kept, uh, going on, I then had a hospitalization in Atlanta, um, with GI bleeding. We had some restaurants, uh, Long John Silver's that uh, we were working with and, and franchise area and uh, had some down in uh, Alabama or, and uh, had gone down to check on them for several days with the working partner, which was nothing but a good excuse to get out of town, drink and play golf. And while we were down there, I've uh, been going really hard for about four or five days and then went on over to Atlanta to the surgery meeting gotten a new um, Hyatt down there with that inside uh, elevator going up, and <gasps> boy, did I feel sick. Got in the room, and uh, a good episode of GI bleeding ended up in the hospital. That was on Tuesday night. Uh, got scoped, had an ulcer and uh, some gastritis. Went to the meeting, presented my paper on Friday, and you know what I did Friday at noon? Man, I really deserved it because I had given an excellent paper and everything had just gone perfectly so I had a little scotch and milk to celebrate it with. Just here's a surgeon that just got out of the hospital uh, with the GI bleeding. And more of the insanity like that occurred. Uh, I had some broken ribs along the way. Um, a lot of things happened. And in a period of, of seven years, I had five hospitalizations. One reason or another related to alcohol. And I had not made the connection as yet. Uh, after I told my partners to go to hell, I had to go out by myself. And uh, this was good because then I couldn't drink. So I, it really made me miserable, and I quit. And then, I, but when I get out of town, I just uh, let it all hang out. And finally, and I, I really don't know the reason why, except I'm an alcoholic. Uh, over a period of three weeks, I started drinking while I was in town, and it very rapidly progressed. And I ended up uh, in a crying jag. I couldn't take, I just couldn't function. Got a hold of a psychiatrist friend who uh, called a, uh, a crazy house. So I have the Harding Hospital, as far as I was concerned, at that point in Columbus, Ohio. And I went up to uh, the crazy house, and I got put in a in a, in a cottage with 40 crazy people. There were four alcoholics in that ward, but the, the beautiful thing that happened out of that event was uh, the night I got there, I was sicker than hell with pancreatitis. And at 4 o'clock in the morning, a doctor came to see me by the name of Perry A., uh, who's in that heaven above uh, who we all hope to join. And he recognized me. He was head of the uh, Ohio State Impaired Physicians Committee, or the PEP committee at that time, and he recognized immediately what my problem was, uh, came back the next day, and uh, for five day days took me to AA meetings. That was nine years ago, I think, this week, and uh, it got me started. 
Uh, I, however, I only stayed there about a week. I had too important, too many things to do, and had to get back to work. And I was afraid somebody was going to find out. But he arranged with Rothrock, who's here, who many of you know, that as soon as I got back to Lexington, I would uh, be going to AA meetings. And for the next uh, year and several months, I went to my one meeting a week. And through all this, I was thinking, God, if anybody finds out that I am a surgeon and that I'm an alcoholic, nobody will ever come to a drunk surgeon. And I was convinced that my career had come to an end and that this I had to hide this at all costs. So I went to this very little exclusive group of primarily professional people, but not just professionals, a um, group of about 15, well, 8 or 10 at that time, people, and every Monday night religiously went. Now, over the next uh, year and several months, uh, they put up with me as I would get out of town and uh, have these slips. But I felt my, I was powerless over alcohol, and I knew I had an alcohol problem, but I really didn't think that my life was unmanageable because, by God, I'm a surgeon. I'm a good surgeon. And as I stated before, my last bastion of self-respect was my work, and I was doing it well. A whole life and world all around me was coming apart, but I am a good surgeon. So living that life, um, I kept uh, going to this meeting and being a good surgeon, but worried as the devil that something was going to happen. Now, a couple significant events happened in my life over the next year. I had a daughter who was at Chapel Hill in college who uh, broke her back in a skydiving accident. And we ended up on a Saturday night flying down there, not knowing if she's going to be paraplegic or not. And it was a very, very painful thing to go through. And uh, I remember going down in the chapel and praying to God, if he spared her, I'd never drink again. I got drunk that night. Um, by this time, I'd with these guys working every Monday night, I knew that uh, this was a major part of my life, but that it really bothered me that I could not have any more control over my life than that. Another episode occurred when uh, and I started taking some antibiotics. Well, I found a convenient way... Uh, I thought I was allergic to it. It was causing some problems. I found a convenient way to stop that just before I was going to uh, Los Angeles to the uh, yearly vascular meeting that year and uh, was able to quit it a week or about 10 days before I went to the meeting and I had a drink when I got on the plane. It's the last thing I remember for five days. How I, apparently, my, all my friends saw me at the meeting. I did get kicked out of a cocktail party, but everybody just thought Gordy was having a good time, and I went out to dinner with a massive folks. I don't remember any of that. And how I got on the plane and got home, I have no idea, but uh, continued to function. But these episodes bothered me, and then for some reason, in um, early September of 1978, I uh, started drinking in my office, which I had never done before. I started drinking when I was on call, and... uh, in a period of just a couple of days, uh, I was at the, um, I was found in the parking lot of a shopping center, uh, near our office and, uh, about ready to be hauled off to the hospital when somebody saw who I was and interceded and so forth. At any rate, that was my last drunk. At that point, with the help of Rothrock and a few other people, 
um, I was encouraged on every one of these episodes to go to a treatment center. But uh, with that one, I had no more defenses. And I agreed to go, but I had to give a paper in October, in November, in October at a meeting and one in early November. And uh, I got all these things to do, so I can't go until then, which was going to be 11 weeks later. I'm too important, and I have all these things to do. I wouldn't recommend that for anybody else, believe me. But for me, it was the thing that I needed. Because I spent the next 11 weeks uh, knowing I was going away to an alcohol treatment unit in absolute hell. I was obsessed with drinking for that entire left uh, 11 weeks, waking up every night, several times a night, thinking of booze and having the night sweats even though I wasn't drinking. Uh, just a tremendous compulsion to drink this entire period. And somehow, uh, with, uh, with willpower alone, I did not drink. And that's one of the things that, that I do want to share with you, that I all through my entire life with willpower, I could always win. I was always a winner, and this thing is the only thing I know of that ever beat me. Um, I couldn't drink. But anyhow, I finally, I got off uh, after 11 weeks with this uh, terrible compulsion, stopped at the O'Hare, O'Hare Airport, and had a drink and prayed it would be the last drink uh, I'd have. And to this day, it's been that. Entered the Lutheran Treatment Center in uh, Chicago, and there occurred some very, very beautiful parts of my life, uh, or events occurred. Um, obviously, I didn't even drink for, except these little bouts for over a year of uh, weekend uh, drunks, that one for five days, and uh, I didn't need detoxified, and I went there after the 11 weeks knowing, by God, I needed what they had. And um, there was never any question in my mind that uh, this was going to work. I met a guy that was in our small group uh, by the name of Larry that I'll share with you, a very significant event in my life. But Larry had no teeth, all his pants always unzipped, and he was off the streets of Chicago that somehow it ended up at Lutheran. And uh, he wouldn't talk in our group or anything else. Pathetic old fellow. And Larry would... Um, You'd ask him anything about it, and he'd just say, my name is Larry, and he'd something about he lived on the skid row downtown and what he'd done, and but very little, except he had some grandchildren he wanted to see. We'd been there a couple of weeks, and um, one Saturday morning at 10 minutes to 11 on November the 11th, 1978, I was walking down the hall, and I saw on this Saturday morning, saw Larry, and he was smiling. Teeth sticking out, or no teeth sticking out, his gum sticking out. I said, Larry, what happened? And he cried, and he said, my grandchildren are coming. He hadn't seen them in years, and that much he'd shared with. I got this tremendous tingling in my spine, and this exhilarating feeling that uh, I don't know what it was, and I don't care today. But it was a tremendous feeling of elation for that poor, pathetic soul. I went up to my room, I cried, I got on my knees, and I thanked God, and I said, if this is what it's all about, thy will be done. To me, that was a spiritual experience, and it sticks with me because today, at the end of this meeting, we say the Lord's Prayer, and we say, thy will be done, I'll get that same spine-tingling feeling, and I also know that it was real in my God speaking and the way he speaks to me. Because 
I lost my compulsion to drink at that moment. I've never had it back again except for one period of it lasted about an hour. And to me, that was one of the, or the miracle of my life because I had been so obsessed in, in about alcohol for so long and had been trying to control it. I simply surrendered and gave up and accepted the fact that uh, that's one thing I've lost at. And from that time on, the good things started. Now, I still had this great problem in my life about being a drunk surgeon. And another significant event happened, and I think I saw him walk in and I uh, a few minutes ago, and I heard the, his name mentioned by Lynn a little earlier. It was Jim W. from Chicago, who's now in Palm Springs. I was given Jim's name to call. Didn't even meet the man, but I talked to him for almost an hour about how life as a surgeon can go on, that I could work and that my life would not have ended or would not end because I'm an alcoholic. And he'd had about 25 years uh, of successful uh, work following his surrender. And that was a very significant part of, of my life because it did allow me to... Um, go back to Lexington and get involved in. I went to an open AA meeting the first night I got back in my local community, and I went five to seven times a week for the next several years. I got involved in step work. I got involved as being an alcoholic. I'd accepted it, and uh, be, it became by far the most important part of my life, the most important thing and still is today. That I denial, control, whatever, however it works, I was able to keep it up front and fully accept the fact that I had alcoholism. Uh, I accepted the fact that it was a chronic, progressive, and fatal disease, and that the treatment was abstinence. And the only way I had found uh, that it could be treated is uh, through the AA program of recovery, and uh, that I could live a happy, productive life without booze. Uh, fortunately, I'd never gotten into drugs. Those were illegal. Those were bad for you. But uh, those of you who have been on drugs, I, I think that only is a different chemical. It just happened, mine happened to be booze. And uh, I do think it's harder for you to recover than it is from somebody like myself who simply had uh, straight old alcoholism. Life since that time has been an incredible um, series of events. While I was there, uh, in Lutheran Hospital, I'd always thought about getting back into academia. I'd always envied those guys. And I did enjoy uh, writing papers. I had written about 20 papers through the years. I'd done some very significant surgical research. Uh, and uh, I loved teaching medical students and residents. But while I was there, I talked to my counselors about going to go on into academic surgery, and boy, did they hit me between the eyes about a geographic switch at this time. It'd be absolutely the worst damn thing you could ever do, and I was up against the wall, and I, damn, I couldn't, uh, because the guy who was chief of vascular surgery at Kentucky left just that month before. They were looking for a new chief. This job wouldn't become available for many years again, and the job was there. And I talked to the chairman of the department uh, of surgery who had a relative in recovery in AA. And he understood the process and also happened to be a very, very dear friend. And he offered me that opportunity 
the counselors at Lutheran said, yeah, absolutely not. But uh, at that time, uh, Carl Anderson at Lutheran sat down and uh, who I took my fifth step with at that time, helped me sort all that out. He said, hey, you're not leaving town. You're not running from anything. You're going to something that's a positive step. You're doing something for somebody else. Also took a huge pay cut, and I was doing it for the right reasons. So with his uh, help, I was able to start uh, negotiating at the university about uh, going there. And now here I am just getting out of a treatment center and starting to talk to people about going uh, to a new job. But took about three months. The dean also had uh, a relative in recovery. And uh, they finally uh, went ahead and did offer me the job. And I put in there one stipulation, which as far as I'm concerned still stands. That if I drink, I'm fired. And with that understanding, um, in March, about four months after I got out of the treatment center, uh, I went to um, back into full-time academia at the University of Kentucky. With that, my self-esteem started coming back, again, going to all the meetings and being involved in AA and all the activities. And since that time, as I say, nothing but good things have happened. I've become a member of the Southern Surgical, I've become a member of the Society of Vascular Surgery, um, written about uh, 30 articles, several chapters and books, and my career is just uh, mushroomed. And this year I'm president of a national surgical organization and also the Kentucky Surgical Society. All these good things keep have kept and continue to happen in my own professional career. Now along with it, my marriage. I have uh, a black belt, Elanon. Uh, who I love very, very dearly. And uh, our marriage is as strong as anyone's, I think, anywhere. Yes, we have our problems, but we're able to talk about them. And that part of our uh, life has been restored. Uh, the kids, a daughter who um, just graduated from the University of Virginia's medical school, top of class, daughter who hated my guts ten years ago, the one who broke her back, by the way, uh, who's now in her residency in medicine in Seattle at the University of Washington, and is probably going to go into the field of uh, alcoholism and substance abuse. She attended the Rutgers School of Alcoholism, uh, the summer school, and she uh, wrote some uh, a grant proposal for American Medical Student Association that led to a $50,000 grant influencing the curriculum of medical students in, in these diseases. And is on the, the AMSA National, AMSA Odd National Committee and the American Medical Student Association committees that are developing curriculum changes that I think will produce a far greater influence than anything I might have ever done. Got involved in, um, professionally in uh, impaired physicians committees, uh, in the state of Kentucky. And, uh, Burns Brady and I uh, go around the state of Kentucky with our little dog and pony show, and one of his friends recently shared with me that what we really do is I get up and talk about the disease of alcoholism and substance abuse and point at Burns, who sits over in the, point in the corner, and said, that's what an alcoholic looks like. <laughs> but we have fun with it and uh, have had a good time with that. Have uh, tried to work through the American College of Surgeons with uh, recovering uh, surgeons and have uh, written some articles in the field and I, it's a part of my professional life which I thoroughly enjoy but one of the parts of that has been trying to influence some curriculum changes in the medical school where I'm at it is difficult 
And one of the things we did was uh, get a yearly day devoted to alcoholism. It's a voluntary effort, however, and it, uh, only about 30, about a third of the medical students really end up participating in it through their um, medical school career. But LeClaire Bissell and, and has been there to help me, and Conway and Charlotte have been twice to help me with uh, presentations to our medical students that have come out of this fellowship. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're now negotiating through the curriculum committee trying to get a two-day um, symposium just before graduation that will be mandatory for all medical students. Whether or not that will uh, come about, I don't know. We have developed a... All our medical students today have to go to AA meetings. And what we developed is a kind of a neat trick. And I think I heard it from Marty Golaski or somebody at one of these meetings. I think at the Washington meeting, somebody suggested uh, six years ago of developing a sponsorship program. And we've got a gal who's an elderly woman who's in recovery that serves as a resource person. And all our medical students have to call her, and she will get them an AA sponsor. That AA sponsor will meet the medical student in her junior clerkship on psychiatry, talk to them, take them to an AA meeting. Many of them will take them into their home so that they can see the recovering family and to really find out what all this is all about. And um, this is, you can't make anything really uh, mandatory for medical students, but you can examine them on the experience. So we examine them on their experience at AA meetings and all of them end up going. (laughs) But that's been kind of fun. Uh, I've learned, I have a talk that I give on surgery in the alcoholic patient, which is a great lecture, but nobody ever comes. So uh, what I have defined is a surgery in Jellick's disease. Everybody shows up until <laughs> they find out what it's all about, and then they're too embarrassed to walk out because they think they maybe he's got the problem. <laughs> so any of you want to get the anesthesia in Jellick's disease, a family practice in Jellick's it's a good way to get everybody there. Nobody will walk out on you because they think the finger is being pointed at them and they'll stay around. <laughs> So these things in my professional life have been a lot of fun. Uh, the family life, I told you about my daughter, got a son uh, who's in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, in business for himself, and a, and a daughter at Auburn in college, the idol of my life, a kid that I love dearly. And during her freshman year in high school, she had some problems, and I know damn well she was smoking pot. Uh, she was smoking, uh, lying, running away, doing all sorts of things, and uh, because of our understanding of these processes, um, we uh, laid some strong guidelines down. She hated my guts. Uh, for a couple of years, we hired a, what I call as a professional referee, who was a counselor that we heard about yesterday, who was of great help in helping her sort out the important things in her life. And she's one who uh, went through this process. She's a very mature young woman who I tr- trust uh, implicitly as a sophomore now at Auburn University and doing extremely well again, but her whole life fell to pot in a period of about six or eight weeks while she was a freshman in high school. So you see, the family life regained its uh, uh, unit. Professionally, I've told you what happened. I haven't had any more legal problems physically. Um, I've not, I had one hospitalization in March or in February of this year not to get a cardiac cath, and fortunately it was negative when I'd had some chest pain over an event I'll share with you in a moment. But other than that, my health has been good, and emotionally and spiritually, I've found my place and my role with my God. 
Now, the whole world was, I uh, was on this pink cloud for seven years. And in February of this year, it came to a screeching halt. Uh, tremendous pain. And during the process, I had been promoted to full professor, and our chairman of the department had left, and I was running our residency program. I loved it, and I loved the, I'd been running the residency program for several years. And in the process of uh, academia and the new chairman being appointed, uh, they came up with a candidate who I opposed very, very vigorously. And I would do it again. I did it for the right reasons, uh, except I lost. And his first order of business when he became uh, chairman of the department was to relieve me of all responsibilities related to the residency program. It was uh, retribution. I have no question about it. And I was extremely angry. Um, my spiritual life just absolutely came apart. I could not understand why my God, me, the perfect human being again, you see, uh, everything was going great and I'd been doing all the good things for seven and a half years. Why could this happen to me? And I couldn't understand it. And I spent uh, February and March uh, just angry. I went to meetings. Uh, I knew that it had to do with my spiritual life. I went to meetings, started going almost every day again, and I was meditating and I was reading, and I was angry. I prayed for the son of a bitch. I did. <laughs> I did everything I could trying to handle this situation, and I couldn't succeed. And finally, an answer to my prayers came about. I'd heard about the Spiritual Renewal Center at Hazleton. And I don't know if many of you have heard about it, but there's some beautiful pamphlets out there that describe it that somebody has laid out on the table out there. Um, either through Dick uh, MC or somebody along the line, I think at this meeting a year or two ago, I heard about it. And I called him. And uh, it's a facility on the Hazleton grounds that I would recommend for anybody that's having any problem with their spiritual life because that's what it's designed for. And I knew I had to change. I couldn't, con I couldn't change anybody else and it had to lie within me. And the topic for the week was the courage to change. And Easter week I went up there and it was one of the more incredible events and one of the most incredible events in my life in which I got there and I was working on the fourth and fifth step because I knew that I had these character defects that were causing me all these problems. And the first thing I was told, uh-uh, step one, buddy, and got back to my life was unmanageable. And with that, uh, got back into step one, worked on it for a couple of days, and then step two, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, and got back with my God on these beautiful grounds, this beautiful hotel and this beautiful facility with counselors around the clock. Got into step three, and for anybody connected with this, a guy by the name Jack the Potter, who was a potter, helped me figure out why uh, that I, I had this incredible need to win at everything. And I had lost in this event in my life, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't win at everything. And it be he helped me understand the simple fact that it's my responsibility to do the best I can, but I can't control outcomes. And I was still trying to control all the outcomes of my life. 
And with this, I, uh, at the end of that week, I took the fourth and fifth step again and got back on track, he accepted who I am and what I am, and that uh, has been the spiritual renewal that has helped me um, really get back to living and enjoying life and being back on that pink cloud that I've been on really for almost eight years now. So it really has been a, and it's been an incredible journey. Um, where am I today? Because I'm in problems with this uh, chairman of my department. Because I really don't enjoy the environment that I'm in today. It's a result of my anger at that time. I let a few people know. And back to the topic of why I'm here, you can find a job or you can work too. Out of that pain and letting people know, out of the pain, uh, all of a sudden I've have, I'm having uh, invitations and opportunities all around the country in my surgical field. I've been asked to go back on the faculty uh, at the University of Michigan. I've interviewed at a couple other jobs. And next week, it's kind of interesting, I'm interviewing at the Maricopa County Hospital to be chairman of the Department of Surgery in Phoenix. And I called the guy uh, that's chairman of the search committee, and I said, um, you know, before I come, I want to make clear, way up front, if anybody's nervous or this bothers you, um, let's we'll just call it all off. But I'm a recovering alcoholic, and I believe everyone should know that, and would be totally up front. He said, oh, don't worry, don't worry about that. He said, I've been in the fellowship for 19 years. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that visit next year, or next week. But these kind of things are happening. I don't know where I'm going to be next year, and I don't know if I'm going to be there to help host the meeting and election. I'll be there, but uh, I don't know if I, that'll be my residence. Um, I really don't. But one of the neat parts of this whole thing has been that old group, my surgery partners that I had 10 years ago, the neat part of this is they've invited me to come back and join them. Life's gone full circle in that sense. And uh, that may be that's one of my options that I may be doing. I don't know. But I know my God will help me figure out what's going to be best. My co-creator, my conscience, whatever you want to call it. And I've become to believe that pain is one of the great gifts of God. And if I'd heard anybody say this before, I think I'd told them they were crazy. I've got to give a presidential address at this uh, surgery group that I belong to in, in October. And the title of it is going to be no pain, no gain. I really chose that topic a year ago and started thinking about it, and little did I know of the ironic uh, circumstances that would occur that I would have such pain in my life that I've had the past year. But it has helped me grow, and it has helped me understand things. That pain really is a gift of God. It's one of the great, it is without question. I don't think there's a single individual that's in here today that didn't get here because of pain. You may say it's because I had drank too much too long, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, whatever. But it was pain that got you here. It's one of the greatest stimuluses or stimuli that they're known to man to get us to doing something. It also teaches us forgiveness. Humility lets us know who and what we are. It enhances the times of pleasure that we have. It helps us appreciate those times greater. And it certainly taught me that the thing, the way when I have pain, the best method to manage it is with gratitude. To be grateful that I'm an alcoholic. 
to be grateful that I'm here today, to be grateful that I've had all these, these experiences that, has, that have helped me get to where I am today. Uh, I truly believe that. And uh, anybody told me uh, when I heard uh, coming into this fellowship, I'm glad I'm an alcoholic. I said, that's a bunch of BS. But for me, that is indeed the case. It's been one of the great learning experiences. Learned little things like um, pain is the root of knowledge by Simon Wheel. Uh, the ebb is the turn, the ebb of the ocean is the turn of the tide by uh, Longfellow. And one that I like very much from Hemingway, who I think had our problem, is the world off-breaks everyone. And afterwards, many are strong at the broken parts. And that, I believe, um, is one of the true uh, things that has happened to me. In closing, I like to, first of all, uh, extend my gratitude to the society for uh, it, having had played a very, very important role in, in my life, and uh, I try to attend it every year. And uh, as we'll talk about tomorrow night, we look forward to seeing you in Lexington next year. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more. But one of my closing statements to tell you uh, sort of reveals who I am and where I am today was stated by Abraham Lincoln. Without the divine spirit, or without the existence of the divine spirit, I cannot succeed. With his assistance, I cannot fail. Thank you very much.